0: This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hi Charles. Hello. So, got a little weird hmm. different episode today, but uh before we do what we're going to do, which is look back at spring 2021 and talk about things that we might have not had time to talk about. Let's look forward to a second and I'm curious for you Charles since you've got your finger on the pulse. Um, mm-hmm. what is the thing coming up in this summer of like nerd culture genre entertainment that you are looking forward to a lot? Hmm.
1: <laughs> this is I'm a little embarrassed to admit this. I, surprisingly enough, am very excited for the new Space Jam. A movie that I I I did not I didn't really have any feelings about it either way. I grew up loving the original as a kid, and then as an adult who doesn't really watch Looney Tunes stuff anymore, I am like, okay, sure, it's for the kids. But then that first trailer, I was like, oh oh no i i I want i want i want to see all of that like all of that (laughs) i was not expecting this
0: answer of all possible things man you are you're you're ready for space jam
1: i'm listen hey listen get into it
0: (laughs) i i hey i'm i'm down to slam if you want to jam i'm i'm here for it (laughs) uh okay that was great and let's just have fun with this episode let's go
1: Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and hope make happen in real time. I'm Charles Pulliam Moore, writer and culture critic at io9. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator
0: and producer for Rooster Teeth Productions. Today, we're talking about everything we didn't have time
1: to talk about from spring this year. It's June, and the summer movie and TV seasons are in full effect. But a lot of the stuff that dropped this past spring are the kind of projects and stories we're still thinking about. And we wanted to discuss them a bit before they get lost in the news cycle. Um, We're going to skip over canon fodder this episode and hop right into it. Well, because, I mean, it's been quite a year already.
0: It has been quite a year. Yeah, skipping cannon fodder. Going to just roll into it. We kind of all, uh, both of us, all, its two people on this podcast, Um, we just kind of made a list of some of our favorite things, whether they be video games or movies or TV or or even comics, and we're just kind of roll through and we'll see which ones we want to talk about. We don't have to go through everything on our list, and we'll probably go through rapid fire on these so we can get to as much as we can to maybe recommend things that we liked or tell you to steer away from things that maybe aren't worth your time um, but we can start off with uh, I think I want, I, want do, I want to talk about video games and I'm curious like what you played this spring Charles that maybe wasn't the AAA blockbuster like Resident Evil Village but mm-hmm. was something you enjoyed
1: Oh, goodness. See, the thing is, like, my relationship with gaming is very, <laughs> it's kind of odd. Like, I i definitely consider myself a gamer. You know, there are certain franchises where when there's news out about Pokemon, I'm like, hello, yes, what's going on? Tell me all the things. Um, but I can go months without playing video games and be perfectly fine until right. I will see something that just really happens to speak to me for one reason or another be it like the aesthetics or honestly nine times out of 10 it's probably just them like the song that happens to be in um in the trailer it's like oh okay like that's um that's just really what we should be into <laughs> um goodness the like honestly the thing that i've been playing out like Most recently i've been playing a lot of knockout city. Um, like rather I was playing a lot of knockout city uh, when the demo first dropped Um, Uh It's a game for the nintendo switch where the basic premise is that you are um, (laughs) You are a person playing um, a high octane version of dodgeball Um in which you are just like traversing a city running around throwing huge objects at your opponents Um, and having a good old time. I will just say like on the whole, I am not much of a, the kind of games that I gravitate towards, they are like shooter adjacent right it's like ooh, what if there's a shooter that doesn't have any guns in it like that's very much (laughs) well within my wheelhouse and um i don't know knockout city it, it it less than a shooter it feels a lot more i mean it's much more in that like battle royale space just in general where you're encouraged to like zoom all around the map and just sort of be an asshole as you bully the other people that you're playing with and The thing that really has like surprised me about playing this most recent demo is that I remember seeing um, the initial trailers when the game was first released and it just being kind of like, ah, okay, sure. Um, I feel like there might've been an even earlier demo that dropped that was not nearly as smooth as um, what I had been playing most recently. And it's just like, oh, I, it just, how to put, Knockout City pretty much single-handedly got me prepared to be excited for all the news that dropped um from Nintendo at E3 this year, if That's that makes funny. any sense. Like no, yeah, it's sort I get of that. sometimes you need like a title to get you to pick up your console and just, you know, after you play the game, you start to poke around through the menus and see what's what. Um and like Knockout City relit just enough of my just like passive positive feelings about the Switch as a system. That, That's right. Like Yeah. Like that when um Nintendo's E3 day like came about, like mind you Zelda news was going to get me excited either way, but obviously, I want to say that I want to say that Knockout City definitely had my mind like much more oriented towards the gaming news coming from Nintendo, and that's just to me that's like the mark of a good game. Like whether or not the game itself is sort of like a transcendent experience, if you leave it being like, man, I should I should play my I should play my console more often. That to me says that the game has done its job well. You know.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's so funny that you 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 kind of. Took talking about knockout into turning into a, a also a praise of just the switch in general because recently I had a conversation with a buddy of mine from Rooster Teeth, Blaine, who <clears> just kind of like uh got on a on a on a uh, uh soapbox and was just like, I'm gonna say it,
1: switch is the best console, it's the best. Oh, hard agree, hard agree, hard agree. That thing came out in 2017, right? And Nintendo was like, listen. Yeah, 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 there's new kids out here. Let me show you a razzle-dazzle. And truly, like, so, like, E3 is over. Yeah, yeah, like, one E3 by talking about a bunch of things that a lot of them had been previously announced before. But we saw a lot of what we saw um, in terms of things that were rendered in-game. It's like the system was doing insane things with its limited chipset, um, all the while sustaining, like, you know, the hype that the Switch has had pretty much since launch. Like, I feel like now in 2021, it's easy to forget how wild, like, launch day Switch stuff was when you just could not find them. Um, right. And, the, you know, like, truly, like, for months, they just were not, like, anywhere to be found. And Yeah, I
0: mean, the, the Switch did, you can't find it to buy it before the PS5 did it.
1: right and it's and and and, and there was you know and there was the whole like added fun element of like oh like it's nintendo this is a very nintendo sort of like experience here i am out in harlem looking for this ridiculous two-tone system to play a game (laughs) that i could play on my wii u that was me in 2017 (laughs) Um, and even now it's like it still manages to like drum up that same level of magic and wonder around like events but then you have games like knockout city that come out that you sort of just stumble upon casually and you end up playing them and it's like oh shit like this little game not little game but how to put it's not necessarily one of the games that sucks up all the oxygen in a room when its name is right right um but it is the kind of game that once you start playing it it pulls you in and you're like oh this isn't just sort of um this isn't just sort of like a random ass game that you happen to bump into on the e-store and you're like, ah, I guess that was all right. This is just like a fully fledged experience that really sort of speaks to, I think, um, the kind of like playing mindset that a lot of developers approach the Switch with. You know, there's mm. a very, like there's a certain kind of game that you come to expect to play on the Switch and Knockout City feels like a really, particularly in the wake of something like Splatoon, it feels very much like, a oh, well, we know how to make a Switch game. And that makes me excited to see what the completed game is going to be like.
0: Yeah, it, it, it definitely uh, makes sense with a game like Knockout City uh, to talk about it like that. I mean, granted, the game is available like on, on like all the other consoles, but it screams mm-hmm. a Switch game. It does. Um and yeah to 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 even just briefly touch on like what you're saying about E3 I was unfortunately for lack of a better excuse too busy for E3 this year to like really just like sit down and watch all the announcements like I had other shit I had to do I'm sorry I had, yeah, I had, to, I had yeah. to you know do other things and uh, but a lot of my experience of E3 was like through like uh, um, kind of brushing up against what people were saying about in my my bubble on social because I have I am surrounded by people who are going to adamantly no matter what watch these these presentations and yeah you could almost like gauge from like the aplauso meter uh, that Nintendo uh, you know while bringing at the rear of the whole thing kind of almost like won the hype uh, award um and that speaks a lot for for um a nintendo and the switch and everything like that but uh it's uh it's also fun to hear about knockout city from you i i do i knew i do know a few friends that were pretty excited about it and i had not touched it but now you've sold me i'm gonna go check out knockout city so you 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 converted
1: you weren't playing the knockout city demo what have you been playing
0: um i'm it's so funny i'm like you in that um i the same thing where i can sometimes go without playing a lot of video games other than for work and for mm-hmm, that kind of mm-hmm. thing like um, I can go without playing recreational game time for quite a while just mostly because of time like mm-hmm. I get my game time at work so then like the very limited other free time I have I usually have to split between other things like movies TV and comics and that kind of thing or just like I don't know actually being physically active or being social yep. with friends can you imagine yeah it's just crazy concept time is a, a finite resource that we're gonna run out of someday <laughs> anyways uh i'll speak to a couple of games or just a game that um i got to check out a little bit later than other people but eventually uh, saw what the hype was about and that is it takes two um i remember it's it's a co-op puzzle game um split screen style where you're uh you're shrunk down versions of these parents it's a story of divorce is what the game is <laughs> um and, uh, and like, and like, a, a kid dealing with that. Uh, but the parents get shrunk down to these doll-like creatures and then have to do these puzzle-like games inside kind of a, a, a borrower's-esque setting, um, where you're like in the, the walls of the house and in the basement, all that kind of stuff. And you're fighting like anthropomorphized monsters from like the Brave Little Toaster. Um, and, uh, it, I saw a lot of people talking about it when it came out and really enjoying playing with their, you know, their significant other and stuff like that um yeah. and, and it was it seemed all sweet and 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 there's been other co-op games like that like unravel and uh i think uh I'm trying to think of other ones that were similar i ori and the wisp was not a co-op one but it was something like we have to use two characters anyways unravel is a good example and it, it, it struck me as like okay another co-op puzzle game i'm sure it's fine i'm gonna pass they're usually just pretty much like okay um and I got to pick it up and play it with my buddy Gus for work. Obviously, like I said, time is limited. And I got the hype. I I, I, I saw why people were so happy about it. It's just one of those mm. uh, smooth, well-executed puzzle games that has good controls, you know, um, the good kinetic feeling of all the jumping and interacting with things. Um, had a good level of difficulty. It wasn't just like, like, we... We'd, failed multiple times on stuff me and gus Mm -hmm. playing which was fun that it was like there was a difficulty to it um there was one boss that was like this toolbox boss that had like nail guns and 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 buzz saws and we lost to him um and it was hard and uh but it's just a, a good example of a simple puzzle game that had cute graphics and and actually like a fun like little story attached to it i make fun about the whole story of divorce but it was actually a unique way of attaching a Uh, not-so-usual story to a not-so-usual game type um and yeah i I, I recommend that if you can pick it up and and you have um oh the the other great thing about it was that it's it's you can play it on steam you can give like another free copy to a friend only one of you has to have the actual game game um to play it so so (laughs) you don't have to like buy two copies they understood that they were they're like you know they went the pokemon red and blue route but they didn't make you buy pokemon red and blue the oldest game in the book the oldest, the oldest game in the book of like making kids have to buy multiple copies of a of a console game to get the full experience.
1: Listen, completionism, uh, the instinct towards it starts early. And you gotta you gotta teach them. You gotta <laughs> teach them all they're young. Um, but no, that's really cool. Like I I, I tend to stay away from um, puzzle co ops because I I don't think that this will come as a surprise to you. I'm a very um, type a gamer when i'm buying myself like please no, i no, fear no. <laughs> ever the idea
0: of playing a game like overcooked with you which is like just Ooh. a stress cooking game
1: no um, see, i i love i love a stressful game that i can just relax with by myself but the moment yeah. that i have to uh, take human errors of someone of, of someone else's <laughs> into account that's just like oh no we're gonna we're gonna fight and never talk again um but no, oh, that sounds man. really cool yeah 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 um do you want to you want to move on to like movies? Let's let's because I feel like I there there are a couple other games that I there are a couple of games that I've given some time to um, But I feel like the easiest thing to get into for our listeners will be the things that we watch and read and Surprise, surprise, there's been like a lot, a lot of movies this year. Um, Like, I I feel like we rolled into, we rolled into the new year being like, oh, the pandemic has shut everything down. And during the winter, we were all sort of like still bundled up and cold. But then the spring hit and like everything dropped. The studio was like, oh no, honey, like we've been working. And here (laughs) here are all of these projects that you might have forgotten about. And we've talked about quite a few of them. But a lot of them, um, you know, slipped through the cracks because there's just, A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I can see on
0: our list a movie that I I want to immediately get your take on, and that is Cruella. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because I watched this movie with my kids, and, and I want to know, like, what did you think at the end of Cruella after watching it? Like what
1: thought ran through your head? I mean, I this is not a spoiler episode, so we're not going to give away too much about what happens in any of the things that we've been talking about. But I feel like um, if you know who Cruella DeVille is, uh, suffice to say that by the movie's end, she's in a position to become the Cruella that you know and fear um, from the animated 101 Dalmatians film. And, um, this new movie, this new live action movie starring, um, Emma Stone and Emma Thompson as Cruella and, uh, The Countess left me feeling very, um, uh, (laughs) in this age where we have uh, begun to debate whether or not people understand the assignments. I think the assignment right was like all right Like let's capitalize on this well-known IP and turn it into something flashy right. and interesting And the movie comes very very close to doing that right. Like, it is a gorgeous film. The dresses are beautiful um, Emma stone is fun to look at I don't think her English accent is very convincing and it's no. kind of like no one thought to No one thought to pull her aside and be like "Hun, you You're at in a movie with a bunch of British people. We got to step this up a bit um, Right, but in the end the movie did not really make Cruella a compelling character in a new novel way to me that makes me interested to see more of this world and I feel Did like, you
0: like Maleficent?
1: Yes yeah yes I did and it took me some time to really appreciate it um yeah but what Maleficent did that I don't think that Cruella ultimately does is in its re-exploration and recontextualization of her story it mm-hmm. adds some new elements that really do give you, like, a strong sense of why she does what she does. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Maleficent, um, Cruella is a—it can be described as a feminist film, and I don't want to say that in a dismissive way. But when I say that, I mean, like, it is a movie that is trying to explore the interiority of a female character, of a woman, and try to make you better understand who she is as a person and what motivates her. And whereas in Maleficent, it really became a story about— um a woman finding her strength after being betrayed and violated by someone who she trusted cruella yeah. goes a much more um fairy tale and kind of silly direction where it's like something tragic happened to me in my childhood and then i became a psychopath who kills dogs and it's like that's interesting okay that's interesting <laughs> on paper <laughs> but but in execution the movie doesn't actually the movie kind of dilly-dallies around it and it kind of it kind it doesn't really get to the meat and the horror of Cruella. Yeah, um, there's a there's a majestic horror to someone like Maleficent that lends itself to teasing and sort of like shadowy looming figures and just like ambiance. And you're like, oh, there's a witch in this forest and she's gonna, she's gonna get you or watch out. Whereas with Cruella, it's like, she's a person, she's a person. And she only wears a couple of colors and she smokes a lot. And it's like, all right, well give me that. And this is, this is a lot of, it felt like a lot of belaboring the point. Like we know, we know who she's supposed to become. And by the time it finally gets kind of close to that point, it's like, ah, I mean, Okay, I guess. Yeah. There's also, um. this is a weird thing to say, there's not enough violence against dogs in the movie. I love dogs. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not encouraging, I would never encourage violence against actual animals, but when your whole, you know, when the thing that sets you apart in the pantheon of magical villains is your propensity towards like, Hating animals and hurting them. Yeah. I need to see it. Like, I need to see you, you know, give me like a fashionable zap stick bzz, bzz, or something.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it Corella was weird to watch. I, I, I can tell you that through a child's eyes, because I watched it with my kids, they enjoyed it, mm. but they're also, my kids are, have no taste and no discernible cr- critical the eyes. They, <laughs> they watch everything, they consume it, they they love it as long as it doesn't take too long to like, uh, get the story along. Um, there's been a couple times we've watched like Studio Ghibli stuff, and my seven year old turns to me and she's like, How much longer is this? <laughs> and I'm like, Shh,
1: It's good. It's funny you say that because a lot of Cruella does feel like um, a series of music videos stitched together with a little yeah. bit of n- narrative between them to sort of make you understand how you get from one setting to another. Yeah. And the video, and I say that very literally because there are, you know, there are catwalks and there are runways and there are fashion shows and it's all set to music of the era and it's all very isn't Cruella evil and cool and it's like yeah yeah, I want to know the
0: budget on the songs they paid for because
1: that thing (laughs) That I, I know the movie was expensive, and it, a lot of it had been music. Yeah, and it's like this is a Disney production. Like this is this is a capital D Disney movie, in that you can see all of the A student talent jumping out, right? Like this, right? It's, it is it is something that the studio invested money in, knowing that, well, rather with the strong confidence that it would do well because of just the recognition that Cruella has as a character. And I think that that bet definitely paid off, right? Um, I don't. I, th- I think a lot, like the, the general consensus is that Cruella is one of the more successful live action adaptations that Disney's done. Um, if we- It's very successful. If we, can, if we count um, The Lion King in there, right? Like, all. Oh, but the thing is like all of these movies make an, you know, an inordinate amount of money, even though a lot of people will voice their various complaints with them like we are. Um, I think though that with something like Cruella- the real test of this movie's of what this movie does is what happens in the future, ironically, because so much yeah. of this does feel like setup, right? There is, you know, there is exposition, but a lot of it is just you getting ready to meet live action Cruella DeVille. Yeah. Puppy killer. Um
0: Yeah. And whereas like
1: Maleficent definitely like it went into the, it went into Maleficent. It's like, Oh, yeah. we're, we're here in the story. Whereas because this is a prequel, um, you know, it benefits from being able to wink, wink, nudge, nudge at things that might happen. Um, but in really sort of, um, I think overusing that, you know, that thing that that thing that it has working for it, it kind of did itself a disservice um, in terms of not necessarily priming me to be interested in more explorations of this going forward. Like if they do Cruella 2, I need it to be like, you know, she's she's. First shot needs to be of a burlap sack, <laughs> you know, squirming and wriggling, and just like crawling. I know, in there? And I know. She's like they, The future, darling.
0: <laughs> well, we all we all saw them like tease this movie, and 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 we we're all we're like, okay, this this is a woman who is who is a is a animal abuser, and you're you're trying to give her the wicked treatment. Um, are you gonna be able to pull that off? And then even after watch the movie, like you you just rewrote. The story like you didn't like kind yeah, of like give yeah. like the different perspective you just rewrote cruella to not include the actual part where she like wants to skin dogs and wear their, their 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 coats
1: you bringing this up makes me think of the reboot of the witches which also came out earlier this year i think um that I, it, it's, you know, slightly different subject matter, you know, based on the Roald Dahl book that features, you know, oh, right. grown adults, you know, wanting to kill children. Like it's not right. we're witches and we're just going to magic them away. No, it's no, like, no. They want to, yeah. We're going to turn the witches, we're going to turn the children into mice and we're going to, like, we're going to crush them with our feet and you know, we're going to do all kinds of terrible, monstrous things. And one of the great things about the reboot is that it, doesn't shy away from that at all there i don't think that it's necessarily as scary um, as the angelica houston uh, which is but there are a couple of shots um in which anne hathaway being her you know anne Hathawayist version of herself um is a full ghoul of the kind of ghoul that would like terrify me as a child and it's like yes that's that's good and i think to myself all right well let's say that um your average modern day child isn't necessarily going to start with the canon in chronological order maybe they're going to go you know all right well there's a cruella prequel and this becomes 101 dalmatians all right well i don't know that watching this movie would necessarily make me want to watch 101 dalmatians you know because it's especially especially the assumption is that cruella is the main character and it's like oh no 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 but We'll see. Yeah, we can't
0: make this entire episode about Cruella, but,
1: <laughs> but uh, I mean, we could. It's our show.
0: Who cares? But uh, I'll I'll say what my one last favorite thing about the movie it it was seeing uh, the the movie has a bunch of you know r- random cameos of like notable faces, but I loved seeing mm. Kayvan Novak from the What We Do in Shadows TV yes. series yes. playing Roger Ratcliffe because he because he plays such a very Campy over-the-top character and what we do in the shadows, and then seeing him play this very uh like bumbly uh lawyer character was so fun.
1: I here's the thing. I I I love Kayvonovac so much, and I think that casting him in this movie is brilliant. But the thing that I like the thing that I one of the things I had such a huge issue with, you cast him and you like you cast Kirby Howell Baptiste as Anita, right? You've got you've got Roger and Anita in this world. And it's like, Oh my goodness. They're going to meet. They're going to have a meet cute. They're going to fall in but love. Doesn't happen. They don't know about all these puppets. doesn't happen. They never meet. And I'm like, ah, shame on they, you. Shame on they you. They
0: were Disney. both, they were both fantastic casting, which I, like you said, it's build up for another movie. And I'm like, no, no, no give it to me the movie that I already paid for right Now
1: I know. But I, I guarantee you it, watch Cruella 2 come out and it'd be like the film of the year for the both of us.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? Uh, uh, I'll try to keep mine, uh, brief. Uh, I had uh, several cartoons on, uh, my list that, uh, of, I've, I've been watching. Let's hear it. I, I, I want to talk about, uh, okay, so I just watched Wish Dragon recently. Oh, um, interesting, okay. I, I, I know, I, th- I think we're going through, like, a, a, bit of a, of a, a dragon renaissance because, like, we also had Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, recently during, Dragons uh, are cool. Dragons are cool. I like dragons. Um technically uh just to throw a fun fact uh, the game of thrones dragons are wyverns they're not dragons there's no dragons in game of thrones <laughs> um wish dragon comes out and uh. it comes out uh, on the heels of like i said like other movies like riot the last dragon um and and, and like animated sh- movies were made you know during quarantine uh much easier than other movies were made so we got a lot of animated shows especially on netflix mm, yeah. netflix is buying all the animation studios um you know we uh, uh they they got the same people who made uh uh Spider-Man uh into the Spider-Verse to make Mitchells versus Machines um the, uh, then uh Wish Dragon uh is i think another maybe it's another Sony production anyways um wish dragon came out and i was kind of uh, excited to watch it with my kids uh, again i'm always just looking for something fun to watch with my kids to uh you know pass the time enjoy our, our indoor time and space in the air conditioning while uh, austin texas turns into a, a landscape of heat and death <laughs> um and again i know these movies are made like wish dragon are made not for me particularly mm. um, and my kids enjoy them Um, And often at the end of these movies, they're like, that's my favorite movie ever, because that's just how their brains work. I do feel that I, as someone who's, as an adult, been still watching cartoons my entire life and has been watching cartoons, uh, feature cartoons as an adult for quite a while. So I've been a, not just a kid uh, fan member, um, but uh, someone older at this point. Um, I almost feel like there's this bar of like what a really stellar animated film looks like Mm -hmm. and i can feel that bar slowly not like abruptly but just a little bit each movie at a time lowering Mm. um and and i don't think it's perceptible to everybody and 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 i don't think that it is done as a collaborative or or you know studio wide uh, industry wide uh, effort but i i feel like there might be like this engine that is churning out um movies at a pace um to feed um, the machine the machine being these these streaming platforms um mm-hmm. that is uh we've kind of reached that point where these feature length animated films i think more than often uh, more often are passable at best and we're getting less mm-hmm. and less of those stellar standout amazing uh movies that i'm going to re-watch again um and I feel like Wish Dragons in that era I uh, I I it it it's it's basically the Chinese version of Aladdin. It's based mm. off of a Chinese uh, uh I, b- I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it's based off an actual Chinese folklore, but mm-hmm. it is kind of it is a similar story of like the three wishes genie kind of story and then the mm-hmm. person, you know, learns a lesson along the way. Um this one's more so the genie learns a lesson along the way. Okay. Um uh and it's I I I love some of the things that the the movie is trying to do, um, and 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 I and I I you can tell that it it was made with love and effort, and the voice cast is 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 diverse and fun and great, um, and, but in the end it just felt it felt like a rushed project, um. Mm the pacing of the movie is weird and almost feels again like very abrupt and rushed um even like the jokes and cadence of the humor isn't the right timing um so a lot of the a lot of the the humor just falls flat cuz it's just like someone rushing to their next joke before they even let like you get
1: the punchline of the last one, you know? Now, question for you. Did your... uh, You said your kids liked it. And uh, I'm curious, did the timing work for them? Like, were they laughing at the jokes? How to put... Were they laughing in response to the jokes as they were processing them, like, in time with the movie's weird timing? Or was it just sort of like a Pavlovian response thing? Because I I think... think
0: It's a a Pavlovian response to the end because there definitely wasn't any, like, laugh-out-loud moments, but um, for them...
1: (laughs) humor is subjective but okay
0: yeah uh, but they they like at the end of it really really enjoyed it because the movie did kind of like i use that word passable for a specific reason because it did what it needs to do to convince kids that it was fun because it was fun (laughs) uh for a for a kid you know but so is like you know fidget toys (laughs) you know um and not to compare wish dragon to a fidget toy but but it, it it was something where it's like, I don't know. It just didn't feel like it had been baked long enough.
1: I think about this sometimes when I'm scrolling through um, Netflix um, or HBO and you just happen to stumble upon like an animated thing you've never heard from, like you've never heard about before. And it's yeah. usually from like a European studio. And it's like, oh, it's a retelling of the Ice Queen story. And it's right. more accurate to the original myth. And you're like, OK, right. what's this about? And it's like the Queen Elsa has a magical snow bear friend. And you're like, okay, um, uh, I guess keep going. I I see a lot more of that. And I think that part of the reason that the part of the reason that you're feeling this way, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that not just that there's more of these being made. We just have more readily like ready access. Right. to them, Right. Whereas it used to be I feel like a lot of these are the same kinds of um, animated series and movies that you used to be able to find at like <laughs> 7-Eleven on DVDs for like straight to DVD stuff. Yeah yeah yeah. And you know, part of the way that these streaming platforms are able to buff out their catalogs is just by buying the, you know, the distribution rights to things that have already been produced and a lot of it is just out there and it's cheap. Um now I I don't I I don't know enough about the changes in the animation industry to speak to what sort of just like general shifts in production are going on across the board that might lead to um, I th- just, I think
0: you actually said it. I think I think this is that we have um we used to be able to like I mean I actively avoided those straight to to video movies
1: because you always knew they were less than good. I, I, right, I, right, and I think that there was always like the possibility that there might be some sort of um kitch appeal to them if you gave you know if you gave them a watch, but you know that it's much easier to just hit a button as opposed to you know forking over a couple of dollars and taking something right home. something like I haven't watched um, Wish Dragon, but I think that. You know something that I've seen from the uh, from the trailers. Um, It's cute. Um, I like I like the I I get the ideas that it's going for. Um, I like that it's not leaning into the help me immediately fall in love with my best uh, friend from childhood kind of thing. It's very I dig that energy. Um, He just wants to be friends with the girl. It's different than the Aladdin Jasmine thing. Hey, totally relatable. Um, I I do wonder though how much of um, movies that are squarely aimed at kids these days do take cues from. Um, the kind of content that kids watch, um, a lot of digital content in particular that's aimed at kids, is like just fast and loud and moves very quickly. And yeah. that's not to say that all kids, you know, you know, children's programming. That's not to say that children's programming is lowbrow or that whiz bang quick things are inherently bad. It's just a particular style of storytelling that doesn't appeal to doesn't appeal to a lot of people. I get it. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't always work for me.
0: Yeah, I get. I guess there's there's just less. Emphasis on like taking your time, like like you think about like maybe a, a movie from when I was younger, like a uh, uh, a Bug's Life. That movie it takes its time. It, it 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 does. It slow rolls through everything and has these little like uh, punny jokes and 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 visual gags that it, it like takes its. They, there's like breathing room between them.
1: I'm 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 always left feeling like I can't wait to talk to the young people who these are aimed at when they are older about like, Hey, okay. So really talk to me about frozen. How did you actually feel about that? Cause that shit was (laughs) everywhere for years and I couldn't (laughs) escape it. And I was told that the youths liked it. I don't believe you now. Tell me, um, and that's just some, that's just something that's going to come with time. But I wanna I wanna shift uh, for a second and talk about something else that is for an audience that is not me, but I've been <laughs> trying to get into it lately just out of yeah. morbid curiosity. Um, I, um, for a number of reasons, um, mostly like being stuck inside, um, have try I, I, I've been trying to like. Goose myself into um, excitement by getting into horror a lot recently, and gotcha. again, it's the same way that like it's easier to watch these animated movies that you've never heard of before. It's way easier to just like blow through a bunch of horror movies and just see who's totally. doing what, you know, what's sort of like what's popping off. It's like oh god, another exorcism. Okay. Um, so in my just like browsing through what's, um, what's hot and new in the horror space, I finally got a chance to watch all of the conjuring movies, um, mm-hmm. because you know, the conjuring, it's one of those things it's, you were, you know, you were giving me shit about dark souls, the conjuring. It's like, you know, you know, the conjuring, it's just out there every, every couple of years, there's a new conjuring movie. Sometimes there's a spinoff. Sometimes uh, the Warren family doesn't even pop up in these things. Um, but I, blew sometimes it's all just of them. a nun. Sometimes it's just the nun. Sometimes it's just Slay Yorona. Um, but <laughs> I um I did all of this ahead of uh The Conjuring The Devil Made Me Do It, uh, which right. just dropped on HBO Max. And I was saying earlier, these movies are not for me. Um, something I found out uh halfway through um annabelle creation i believe is the one where it dawned (laughs) on me like oh charles you're not the target audience here um because um, i came personally i came to be scared shitless i wanted to see some spooky demons um scare some white people around a house and really make their lives hell and that does happen (laughs) that does happen but yeah what (laughs) what became clear is that these movies are really how to put um family movies, right? They really are. They like are. Nuclear, Christian American. Oh my God, it's me and my wife. And I'm not really a demonologist or I'm not licensed by the church to do exorcisms. But my goodness, right. we just love humanity so much. We do it. You know, um, I've seen threads about how the Warren, Mr. Warren's tie is always coordinated with his wife's dress. And I'm like, oh, right. Oh, right. That is what this movie is about. It's about this couple. This mm-hmm. is just what they do. And the devil made me do it. I watched it right after I had watched uh, The Curse of La Llorona, which, in my opinion, is the strongest of these movies. I know that is a controversial opinion, but I think it's the most interesting of them all. Um, and so I came into it primed like, oh, right, this is like the third conjuring. And that's like. That's like an Avengers movie for these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The Conjuring ones are the Avengers of the Conjuring universe. As opposed to like the Captain America movies. And it's like, okay, Annabelle, Annabelle, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But settling in to watch The Devil Made Me Do It, basic premise being, um, surprise, there's someone else who's been possessed by a demon and the Warrens are brought in. Um, And this possessed man ends up becoming entangled in a high profile uh, court case. Right. uh, Because his legal defense is, the devil made me do it and the Warrens in there partially. Right, not a spoiler if it's in the movie title. Also, this is based partially on historical events, the way that all these movies are kind of based on historical events. (laughs) But, and so I was like, all right, so you're giving me me a little bit of true crime. You're giving me a little bit of this ridiculous fashion because the Warrens truly do dress like, you know, the wildest people. Um, And you got, you know, some demons. But when I sat down to watch it, it was like, oh, wait, it is just another... Capital C Conjuring movie where this completely unaware white family does, like, apparently lacks basic common sense about what's going on. And <laughs> just, I was very, I was very much left thinking to myself, there's a moment very early in the movie where a demon jumps around from a bunch of people and you'd think, um, you'd think that by the time that the possession was in full effect, everyone would sort of be on the same page. Hey, the thing that's happening here really does not make sense. We should all be careful and safe right now. None of right. that all out the window. And <laughs> what I, what I realized is like, Oh, you want people? I think, I think rather that the people who watch and really get a kick out of these conjuring movies are, tuning in for like a myth experience right you're tuning in for a movie experience that you can kind of predict because they are all very familiar and it is that familiarity that's supposed to be comforting but for me it was like no 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 you guys come on the demons clearly not exercise what do you mean you're leaving this family's gonna die (laughs) and it wasn't it wasn't that kind of fun engagement where you're you know you are caught up in the story with the with the family it was more of the oh god you all deserve, I hope the demon wins. And <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, yeah, which I, I, I,
0: I, 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 with, uh, with this movie coming out, um, I, I haven't watched anything past the first Conjuring, um, but I was like, oh, I, it might be a good opportunity to like maybe catch up a few of the Conjuring universe movies with my girlfriend who's never seen any of them to lead mm-hmm. up to watching the newest one. And I, I rewatched the Conjuring one with her and I hadn't watched it again since the first time I've ever seen it. And it is like what you're talking about, where the movie like uh, plays itself as a horror, but the 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 climax of the movie is just a family moment. It's like it's like the same way an episode of Full House wraps up, where everyone is reminded of how much they love each other and what family really means, and that's the reason why the ghost then doesn't win. You know,
1: um, and it's like that's cute and all, but that's love. Love is what did the devil away. Okay, all right, <laughs> sure. <laughs>
0: definitely different from other movies like the exorcist or or things like that where it's like, uh, like violent, uh, religious acts are the reason why the devil didn't win. Uh, but so, so you're, I, I, it sounds like you're kind of, uh, mirroring. I I feel like some other reactions I got from people that I know that watched the devil made me do it, that it was just kind of a, a tepid member of
1: the universe. Yeah. It's something that I think for all of the, listen, you got, you got Vera Farmiga, to come back to do her very best, like I am about to faint and have a moment. And I will say this: there are a number of moments um, with Lorraine Warren, her character, that do feel like a step up. Lorraine Warren is a medium, right, and not even a full psychic—a medium who's just aware of the presence of spirits and sometimes mm-hmm. communes with them. It builds on that, right? Um, there's more. There's more. That, there's more about her power set, for lack of a better word, that for a hot second does feel like the movie's getting into an interesting space. But then it feels like it kind of chickened out a little bit and didn't want to get too off brand. And I think that, weirdly enough, like um, (laughs) I've been thinking about Resident Evil a lot and how Resident Evil 7 and 8 really kind of pivoted away from the core franchise. I think that Mm. the Conjuring series is in a position to do that now. Um, and not just with the, um, the spin off movies where, you know, the apparitions aren't always necessarily conveniently tied to Catholicism the way that they are in, um, the the, 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 core conjuring movies, you know, I think that the conjuring, the core conjuring movies could stand. So just to like, all right, listen, it's a whole world full of demons out there. And while we are Christians, Jesus cannot always help us, you know, do you know what I mean? It's so like, all right, we, we, we know who you are now. Give us, give us a little bit more, but there will be more of these. Perhaps my, there will be in the future. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: um,
0: well, great. Love, love to hear about The Conjuring. Um, it's, it's, you don't just have to wait till October to watch your scary movies. Watch them all year long. Um, I'm going to shift to something that's completely different, tonally different, because I yeah. feel uh, like I spent my time in the movies section of this podcast kind of talking about disappointment with, uh, with uh, a kid's production. But I want to sing praises to a kid's production that I don't think anybody here listening to this podcast is going to have taken the time to check out but because of my affinity towards puppets um and michelle obama uh, i checked it out uh waffles and mochi is a kids netflix series that is simply that it is a kids tv show that sesame street like teaches kids lessons about certain things with the help of uh, uh puppets and uh and like almost like a documentary style footage around the world of people teaching uh the camera about food it's an entire food based show and so one episode they just tackled salt um because you know waffles and mochi can't figure out why their cookie recipe was terrible it's because they put too much salt <laughs> in it um stuff like that and it's adorable um, it has wonderful little Sesame street or even Mr. Rogers neighborhood kind of production value in it where they use like even like little miniatures, um, mixture of some animation stuff, uh, a lot of, like I said, puppetry. Um, and then there's live action, uh, you know, uh, characters and real life people that interact with them. Um, it's a cooking show, which is also fun. Like we all like a little bit of a cooking show. You have your certain kind of cooking show you like to watch. And this one does that. Um, and and it's it's very much uh, a show that g- travels around to not just uh, uh, one group of people, but travels around the whole world and takes you to Tibet and takes you to Mexico and takes you to Japan and all that kind of stuff. And so it it does a good job of of if as a kids show showing kids the world and not just their backyard. Um, I was just surprised by it. I, I, every once in a while, I, I look into some of these kids series that uh Netflix puts out. There's another one that was a YouTube star a while back who like specialized in kind of gothic fun looking style stuff. She was very crafty. I can't remember her name. There was another and it used Muppets as well. If you have puppets in a show, I'm gonna check it out. And if you do a good job, I might, you know, sing the praises about it. Um that one had a raccoon puppet. I'm gonna look it up. Uh <laughs> but Walva's emoji was adorable. It just stars this uh the main character is Waffles, whose dad was an abominable snowman and mom was a waffle. Um, so so uh, she is part of those two things. And then Mochi is that. It's a tiny little Mochi that is adorable, doesn't really talk, just makes noises and smiles and, and emotes like, a, like a, uh, a, a a sidekick character. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, uh, Michelle Obama, is uh, she, she stars in it as the owner of the store that they're based in, the grocery store. Um, she might have also been like an executive producer on it. I believe it was like and just like one of her pet projects. Um, it's fantastic. Go check it out. Even just an episode. Hmm. What
1: are the puppets like? Like, talk to me about the puppetry itself.
0: The puppetry is 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 very much uh, like uh, Sesame Street, where it's a mixture of like hand puppets. Like Waffles is a full on hand puppet. But then, like Mochi is like a little, like uh, like a little stick puppet, almost like the inchworms on Sesame Street, where it just has limited <laughs> motion. Um, they even do a little bit of a simple animation on Mochi's mouth, so Mochi's mouth uh, emotes a bit more. Um, but then there's also like another, like there's a there's a bee puppet who's another stick puppet that um uh, mostly just uh, mouth movement and that kind of thing. Uh, but like there's a store, the grocery store uh, shelf that is alive. And talks so that's a little bit more like Wee's playhouse kind of furniture talking <laughs> yeah. kind of thing um but uh i i don't know if if Henson production worked with them to actually create the puppetry i actually should look into that and see who actually made it it just seems like they're often the ones that people go to anyways um but it was that it was like uh waffles is like a felt hand puppet so
1: yeah like 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 an elmo I will have to give. I will have to check this out. I've seen like I see it all the time, and I'm like mm, and I don't it's, know. It's cute. It's adorable. It right now,
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like yo. Do you need just something wholesome to watch for a second? Pop this on, and it'll, nice. it'll give you some good good resets
1: i have also been getting my wholesome fix from a show that is technically meant um for children but i think definitely has a lot of adult appeal um we were talking about animation um and one particular area where the animation has not been slouching at all um is the new digimon adventure reboot um that launched goodness i want to say earlier this year um, it's based very on Based on the series from the 90s, um, it is a retelling of the Digimon adventure story um, where you've got eight kids who are sucked into the digital world that exists parallel to our own real world. And everything in the digital world is based on data that relates to real world things, you know, everything that lives in your computer Um, basically it it has physical form in the digital world and this new series, like a lot of reboots has tried to figure out a new way, um, to tell, you know, a familiar story and it has been doing a fantastic job, like truly just like a fantastic job in the sense that if you were a kid like me in the nineties, who, um, Showed up to school every Monday wanting to talk about Digimon and nobody else <laughs> watched Digimon because it was Digimon and not Pokemon. This is like, no, oh, no, this is, oh, no, no, oh, listen, did not deter me from ever loving Digimon because it was <laughs> <a> tr- <laughs> just a transcendent show. Um, but what this new series is doing, it's updated, um, it's now set. Yeah, in 2020. I think it started either in 2020 or 2021. Um, But these are modern day kids living in Japan who, unlike uh, the kids from the 90s show, um, they are full digital natives, you know, the... Being sucked into the digital world is still an alarming experience for all of them, but they grasp it much more quickly. And the show mm. doesn't really go out of its way to sort of explain how. Welcome to File Island. File Island is a file on a server. It has it, it assumes that a modern audience is much more familiar with basic elements of Got gotcha. um, digital infrastructures. And in that, like trusting the audience, it frees itself up to do a lot more fun and interesting things. So while it has retold certain elements of um, a lot of the movies, actually, it's folded in a lot of the movie stories. Oh, lines. really? Hmm. So the first episode, the fir- I want to say within the first two or three episodes, um, the plot of goodness. I'm I'm blanking on the movie's Japanese title, um, but it is the second story in the American or the Western release of the Digimon movie. That is the three yeah. Digimon, the three Digimon movies from Japan. Um, the one where Omnimon fights uh, Diaboromon, that is essentially turned into a part of the show and it's handled very casually. It's a big deal, right? It's like, oh, no, the Internet's going to go down and the kids happen to save it. But it's like, no, there's more like, all right, cool. We we stopped this one catastrophe, but they start to happen back to back to back to back. And while initially it seems like oh you're just going to burn through all the original material and have nothing else to do, um, that hasn't been the case. You know, it does do the greatest hits every now and then, um, but it's been finding a really novel set of ways to how to put um, like ex- explore the characters' personalities as part of their like crest arcs um, that fans of the original show will remember, as opposed mm-hmm. to just being like here are the magical things you need go find them. The show has been. Really showing you how the character's personality aspects that come to really define their power are parts of who they are, if that makes sense. It's just doing a lot more showing as opposed to telling um, without feeling overlong also. Which is wild to say because Digimon is one of those very lore-dense shows that easily could have gotten like tripped up by its own expansiveness. But this new show is just... it's knocking it out of the park and it's just pretty as shit to look at it's so good it's so good i'm glad i'm
0: glad you bring this up uh, if if not only just to remind me to go back and continue to watch it because i I i did check out like episode one of it um and then i and then like i do with a lot of things my add brain just forgot that i was watching it and moved on to something else at some point later and i do remember being like oh this is This is fantastic, just a a retelling of these stories that I'm familiar with, with a a beautiful new, like, uh, updo on it. Um, uh, But to hear that they integrated the canon that the films added to the main characters into the series gets me even more excited, because I loved those stories in those films.
1: Yeah, and the show, it moves. So Digimon, like a lot of 90s and early aughts anime, um, it had its fair share of filler episodes, you know. Um, Every six episodes or so, you get some stuff where shit's going down. There's going to be a new Digivolution. They found something. Um, But you just have episodes where they were in the middle of nowhere, you know, talking to a bunch of Gatsumon, like, oh, what's going on with you and your rock quarry? You know, that was... I love Kids love that kind of stuff, Um, but I can see how... The idea of it could be daunting to, you know, like adults are like, we don't have enough time to watch the show. There is still some of that in um, the reboot, but it does really feel like more often than not, the episodes are all focused on rather crucial plot elements that are building towards um, the big bads, you know, the big confrontations, the big sort of legitimately world ending um, events that the kids are destined to uh, prevent. But it really well, does Yeah, it's 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 just something that how to put I get up on Sunday mornings to watch it. It's that kind of thing for me.
0: Well I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna add it back on my list because I need something to watch. I'm kind of in between <laughs> stuff right now. Um but uh two things. One, we're gonna wrap this up really quick with a rapid fire suggestion of like comics that we're reading that people should do. And yeah. two, I found it. The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell. It was a Netflix ah, series where this gotcha. YouTuber Christine McConnell just adapted her YouTube channel, Instagram kind of stuff as well into this uh, series. And it was adorable. It had a bunch of puppetry uh, as well in it. Um, I love these kinds of shows. Never stop making them. I don't know if they make any money whatsoever because that was that show never got a second season. Um, so I just like, just, just keep doing them. I'm not going to get a second <laughs> season of Dark Crystal either. So just, I don't know, keep giving me puppets somehow. Um, comics from the Spring uh that p- people might have uh slept on that uh we checked out i'll go first so you can send us off on, on a high note of your uh picks um i'm right now finally catching up on x of sword of swords it's kind mm. of fun it's like x-men mortal combat is what it is it is um, magical x-men mortal combat with tarot cards yes yes yeah and swords. Uh, yeah, there's tarot cards in it. Uh, it's fun. It's not the most mind-blowing story ever, but it's it's still fun, and I'm enjoying reading through it. Um, but uh, if you're tired of fun and you want something depressing, might I uh, suggest checking out Image Comics series Low, which actually just finally wrapped, so you actually can read the whole story now. Um, it is this uh, apocalyptic tale of the dissonance between... Uh, a a world where the world is ending because the sun is basically consuming the earth and hope Um, and it's full of tragedy and the main characters go through some of the worst hells ever and it's uh, super sad and dark at many times but it's beautiful to read uh, both uh, uh, verbally and visually it's got a very unique visual style to it that is a bit chaotic but still makes sense um, and it's just a great example of an independent uh, comic from Image that was, you know, the the brainchild of a very select few individuals and creators. Uh, let me make sure that I am attributing this to the right people who are working on it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a Rick Remender series. He wrote the whole thing. But, yeah, it looks like Greg Tocini and Dave McCag were the uh, artists for it. Um there's only 26 issues so again easy read for you to do and it's all done so you can just read from start to finish and be done with it um and 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 i promise you'll be sad at times but there's also a hope uh, throughout so it's it's like our real world
1: (laughs) (laughs) which what did you read so, I generally speaking am not much of a DC comics fan. I wasn't much of one when I was growing up. Um, and a big part of my comics reading as an adult has been trying to go back and learn a lot of like that lore that I just, you know, truly did not have in my head as a kid. It was um, fun. Yeah. And a book that really has been helping me out and helping me work through some things is I'm um, thinking of John Ridley's The Other History of the DC Universe. Um, Hmm. which is this really fascinating series that spotlights a number of characters of color, um, a number of female characters who are parts, you know, established parts of DC's lore. Um, I'm thinking of Bumblebee of the Teen Titans and Katana of the Suicide Squad, but what this comic does, um, each, you know, each issue focuses on one specific character, Um, I think the first one is Black Lightning. And what it does is it shows you sort of like their origins um, within the world, you know, where they were as regular people when they first sort of got their first brush of superheroism and the idea to become a vigilante. But as it follows in each as it follows the characters in each issue, um, Ridley tries to inhabit a voice that speaks to the perspectives of the kinds of people that those characters are right. So with black lightning, this first issue is very, it's really interesting reading this first issue coming off of the black lightning TV show that just came to an mm-hmm. end. Um, because you have Jefferson Pierce who is this middle-aged black man. Uh, he's married. He's a father of two, a uh, former, you know, he's a genius and he's a, an Olympic athlete and he's become a teacher. Um, and this is all before he becomes a superhero. And in this comic, you know, um, it, I feel like he becomes a hero either in the late 60s or in the 70s. Um, and it's at a time when there aren't a lot of black superheroes. And it's something that Black no. Lightning acknowledges, right? And it's not something, how to put, it, it's something that fans have had, a conver- have been having conversations about for decades. But it puts that conversation into the context of the comics universe and makes it the sort of thing that really comes to shape a lot of heroes perspectives not like oh i have to be a black superhero but it does sort of ask you to think about the kinds of ideas that these people would be thinking about what does it mean for someone like jefferson pierce this ordinary black man to look up at you know dc's superheroes this pantheon of you know humanoid gods and to see no one who looks like him until someone like uh, the Green Lantern shows up, shows up, uh, right. John Stewart. You know, there is yeah. a moment in that first issue where Black Lightning or rather Jefferson Pierce before it becomes Black Lightning and Green Lantern have an exchange. It's like, what are you fight? You know, and they talk about, like, what are you fighting for exactly? Um, what does this mean to you? Um, we uh, we live in a world where people like us where black people like us are you know, pretty uniformly treated as second-class citizens and yet you fight for this world, you know, these are very sort of basic questions that people have all the time when we talk about um, representation in comics. But, you know, putting it into the comic really does sort of make it part of all of these heroes' identities. Um, That's just one particular, like, that's just one particular kind of story that gets featured in it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it is the kind of, like, character exploration that i really needed to get into i've rather i've always really wanted um to help me get into um some like famous dc characters whose names i know but whose like whole like well why do people love them who are they as people what is it that you know keeps people hungry for more stories about them um that's really been what made um this book stand out um i'm I'm looking
0: at the I'm looking at the cover art right now. It's beautiful. And yeah. there's looks like there's about four issues out right now. And the latest one was even on Renee Montoya, which is interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah, And it's just like, let's, you know, these are all, there's, these aren't necessarily characters who are, you know, unheard of, but it's like, truly, what does it mean to look at the world from their perspectives, particularly when they are not on a team or being brought in as part of an event um, in Katana's issue, you know, it traces through her origins in japan and talks about how ridiculous it is that her code name is literally just katana right it's literally just sword mm-hmm. it's not you know yeah you know it's not the crimson katana it's just katana um the book talks about how the idea that the sword sucks souls out is just superstition and racism honestly it's like i'm an Asian mm-hmm. woman with the sword and people assume all of these things about me let me use it to my advantage um it's like that's the kind of like, oh yeah, like that's that's exactly what I that's 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 the perfect kind of jumping on point, I think, particularly for people who don't have that built-in nostalgic love for these characters, especially when, you know. <laughs> I, I, but I feel like my first time like, like my first time really like clocking um Jon Stewart was in the cartoons, right? The the Justice League cartoons. And it's like, well, where is he right, right, this right. whole time? Like, why don't I see him everywhere all the time? And to see someone like Jefferson Pierce you know verbalizing a similar question just like ah yes this is it's not just me sitting here being you know pissy about <laughs> being pissy about things um but on the other side of the big two equation um i have to have to have to recommend um Tanahasi Coates' coates's captain america run um people talk about his black panther run an awful lot uh, because it's mm-hmm. a very fantastic book Um, You know, as it explores a future, a future and a past in which Wakanda is a galactic empire. Um, But Captain America, his Captain America run has really been, (laughs) it has been a comic that is grappling with a lot of the existential questions about American identity that I think most comics have been trying to shy away from um, for the past couple of years. Um, Whenever comics get explicitly political, there's always, you know, a little bit of hullabaloo about what's being said exactly. Um, right, based on you know who's writing and who's 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 illustrating it and what what the company is, and this book, more than sort of making any sort of grandiose moral arguments, it is a reflection about um about the ugliness that exists in America, not necessarily just related to race but sort of what does it mean to be um what does it mean to be a patriot um when you have a keen and unique understanding the way that Steve Rogers does of um, all of the atrocities that America sort of is built upon, right? That's a right. lot of the ideas that are sort of alluded to in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but not really explored effectively. Um, it is done much more beautifully and much more, in a much more moving way, I think, in this Captain America run that I, I personally, it feels to me like some of the most heartfelt writing about Steve Rogers that I've read in quite, 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 quite a long time. Um, but It
0: looks like uh, the nehisis run on it is actually concluding this summer. So
1: if it seems like if you want to read the whole story as a whole, now's a good time to do it. Now's a really good time um, before he, you know, makes the jump over to DC to write the the Superman movie. But actually, the comic that's given me the most like unexpected, surprising um, delight this spring uh, was Radiant Black uh, from Image Comics. It's uh, written by Kyle Higgins with art from mm-hmm. Marcello Costa. And it's just how to put. It. Imagine like Power Rangers as a concept, right? Your basic mm. like alien technology. My attention. <laughs> 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 alien technology comes down from space and uh, imbues you with a cool new suit and some super strength, and um, <laughs> it is now your job to defend the planet. Um, that basic concept, uh, but with an adult. Um, as opposed to a teenager with attitude, a team of teenagers right. with attitude. And the comic is really, as much as it is sort of like that wish fulfillment dream that all adult Power Rangers fans have sometimes, or it'd be like, you know, it'd be really cool if I could just morph right now. It is both that and sort of like an exercise in like work-life balance. You know, it's easy. <laughs> it's, it's, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the charm of the Power Rangers series, um, for young people is this idea that you are this uber powerful teen who can just like run about and you know ditch things so that you can go fight putties and hang out with your friends and it's all very like it's all very charmed whereas radiant black really does sort of lean into like oh no when you're an adult you have obligations and responsibilities bro and not just sort of um not just sort of your typical like Lois I've got to go and change my clothes I'm superman not just that kind of thing but really sort of like the oh no your life is going to get in the way of your Sentai superheroics if you're not careful about it and it's something that you do always have to be mindful of and is <laughs> that's just that's the kind of thing that appeals to me personally as a uh, <laughs> as a comics reader that's definitely something that has kept me uh, coming back to the series and I think it's something that a lot of people would enjoy
0: I uh I especially love getting recommendations for Image Comics stuff because while uh there's recognizability with um things that we you know know from Marvel and DC Image Comics has just been like pseudo quietly putting been putting out like really amazing bangers out there. That, That's the thing, is bangers, um, then, <laughs> <it's> all solid. <laughs> yeah, and, and then a lot of them are now being turned into, you know, uh, films or TV a th- a series, that kind of thing, which is fun to see. Um, but the books themselves are just uh, fantastic. It's, there's a reason why everybody and their mother can't stop talking about things like, you know, Saga and Wicked and Divine and stuff like that. Um, but the problem with image comes like just not knowing like what's the good stuff and what's the bad stuff. Cause I just don't know what to recognize. I don't, I, I can't just like gravitate towards like, Oh, I like X-Men. I'll just try X-Men again. Cause I like X-Men. Um, so when someone can like sift through all their random, uh, you know, independent, you know, creator controlled kind of
1: series and be like, Hey, radiant black, this one when one you yeah. should check out. I like that. This is, I like that. This, I definitely, I, I, I co-signed radiant black wholeheartedly. Cool.
0: Well, we've covered games, movies, TVs, comics. I think our our listeners have plenty to catch up on now. Let's um, uh, give them a break and send this out.
1: We've done it. (laughs) All right. So that brings this episode of The Real Canon to a close. If you like what you've heard, and we know you did. Be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss a single show. We've got new episodes coming out every Tuesday.
0: And if this was your first time checking us out, this is not a normal episode, but we had fun making it. And if you had fun listening to it, then you should also do a couple things. One, check us out on social. We're tweeting and talking about stuff mostly on Twitter. I, we have a Twitter and Instagram account. I don't really post an Instagram account very often because yeah. it's hard to do all that kind of stuff. But we post things on Twitter. Follow us there. And you can also add us about, you know, certain things that maybe we didn't talk about for your spring that you would love to have heard us talk about and also uh, tag a friend to let them know that we make a good show and they should listen to it that would be awesome
1: (laughs) all right everyone get ready get hyped and we'll be back next week with more the real canon